Welcome back to Path to Glory, the Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. I'm your host, Haman Kusro, and I am joined by my recently delved co-host, Zach Cachetta, a.k.a. Requisite. How's it going, my friend? I'm doing great. I am ready to start exploring. That's right. You are you are a daring man. Yeah. Well, if you can't Good. if you can't tell what we're talking about today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're 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 bad at jokes. Don't don't ask us to do this for I a mean, living. You know, I, I think I'm funny sometimes, but uh my fiance tells me I'm funny. Ah, that's good, at least. Yeah, doesn't everyone's though? Um, British. So look, in this episode, we're going to be talking about Daring Delvers. It is the second Rivals deck that's included in the Norwood expansion, the season box, the core set. And we're very excited to talk about it. Throughout the course of the episode, um, not only are we going to discuss the deck, including the objectives, the power cards, and the upgrades... We're also going to talk about um, how we feel like this deck is going to not only play in Rivals, but in Nemesis and Championship throughout the episode. And then we're going to end the episode with some thoughts on the deck as a whole, as a cohesive unit. And then, of course, we're going to talk about which warbands we think are going to be good with the warband, or sorry, with the deck, and which warbands we think you should maybe avoid when it comes to Rivals and Nemesis play. Um, Zach, any comments or, or questions before we get started, man? Nah, I'm looking forward to this one. Um, and I'm looking forward to talking a little bit more about, you know, its place in the various formats as well. Cause I, like you said, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays in the, the three main formats of the game. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's really it. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, what we both think. Uh, I mean, obviously I have my thoughts and we'll see what yours are. And uh, for those of you who like our Sleeve It or Leave It or Inspiration Strike segments, um, we apologize in advance. Due to the ever-changing nature of the game, um, everything's going to really just take a turn on its head. And instead of debating on whether one card is going to be sleeved or left on the table, um, is a little difficult given the fact that, you know, we haven't really played much of the Narwood outside of the core box stuff. Yeah, um, absolutely. Same with Inspiration Strikes. I mean, I think we've had some stuff in the past, but, you know, I think this is our fifth podcast now, so we're just trying to power through, you know? So, cut us some slack. <laughs> we always got a, a, a lot to go through when a new season drops, a new box set drops. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we need to, we would lo- we love dedicating at least two hours to each particular topic, right? So, um, I think we'll hit that to our mark today because... I tried. We tried to avoid it with tooth and claw, and that ended up pushing the limit. So, uh, <laughs> um, but before we get into daring delvers, just want to thank our patrons. Really appreciate your support. It, it truly means a lot. Um, you allow us to continue to create content, um, and you know, upgrade our stuff, and uh, really help keep the lights on. So, thank you to everyone who supports us. If you are interested in supporting us, um, please check out Patreon.com/slash/PathToGlory. Um, that's not possible. That's okay. Thanks for listening, anyways, and. Uh, we hope you enjoy your time in the Narwood with us. So, without further ado, Zach, I'm going to give you the honors here. Um, Daring Delvers, really cool Rivals deck, 12 objectives, 10 gamuts, 10 upgrades. And it also comes with a plot card. So, if this is someone's first episode with us, do you want to explain what the plot card is first and foremost? And then we'll talk about 
the plot card that comes with Daring Delvers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for those of you who are relatively new, um, plot cards are a special type of card. They don't go in a deck. They're going to kind of sit alongside your deck and alongside the game board, and it will give you special rules or uh, mechanics that will affect your game without necessarily being part of the cards you play. Uh, in past seasons, we've had stuff like this. Uh, Tooth and Claw has a plot card as well. Daring Delvers has its own plot plot card called Daring Delvers. Uh, I thought this had a name. I'm actually mistaken on that. Um, but basically what happens is uh, if you use cards from one of these rivals decks, uh, you can choose a plot card from one of those rivals decks to be your plot card. Uh, you can't bring multiple plot cards. You can only pick one. Um, so right now there's only two in the game. You're going to pick between the two unless you're not using any cards from uh, the either of these decks. Um, if you have the Daring Delvers cards and you decide to use their plot, you start a exploration count. Um, so this is like a, a, a token pool or a just like a, a counting uh, amount that you're going to tick up or tick down. Uh, your exploration count starts at zero. You increase it by one when you place a feature token during a round. At the end of the action phase, for each friendly fighter that is on a feature token not in your territory, so either in no man's land or in enemy territory, and at the end of the action phase for each surviving friendly explorer that is not in your territory. Uh, explorer being a keyword that uh, some of your upgrade cards in this set will give. So you have three different ways to increase your count, uh, but you also will decrease your exploration count by one to a minimum of zero. If at the end of the round, each enemy fighter that is on a feature token that is in your territory. So this warband, so warband, like this is a team, uh, but this rivals deck really is focused on going out of your territory into no man's land, into enemy territory, being on feature tokens, dropping new feature tokens, uh, or being an explorer in enemy territory, and also keeping enemies off feature tokens in your territory. You kind of want to control the tokens, control the board, and move about, um, kind of moving deeper and deeper into enemy territory as time goes on. Uh, so the, the plot for this is pretty straightforward. I mean, if you are kind of doing forward feature token holding, you're already going to be playing right into this. Uh, and it's something that will affect some objective cards. Uh, there will be some upgrades and power and ploy cards that will also affect this count as well. But we'll get to those when we get to the cards. Uh, Amon, do you like this mechanic? Uh, what do you think about this? Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that summary. Um, I think when you say mechanic, do you refer to plot cards in general or the exploration? Well, th this plot card, the exploration plot card. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very fascinating. Um, I think this deck and the Tooth and Claw deck both encourage warbands to invade enemy territory. Now, while that war the other deck might try to fight you with quite literally Tooth and Claw, um, this one's all about, you know, being daring, being dashing, and jumping into the enemy zone or no man's land and flipping tokens. And I, and I do like it because I think one of the criticisms that I've been seeing online is that now that Warhammer community has told everyone that objectives start face up in this season, back to the way it did for the first four seasons of the game, people felt like cover hexes and feature tokens wouldn't be utilized as much. But what this deck does is it puts the entire focus 
on feature tokens, which I really like. So in addition, it also rewards you for placing additional tokens as well. Um, you know, we've talked about snare hexes and stuff. Um, I think this is where you'll, you'll finally kind of see them come into play, which is really exciting. Um, which is not a player place token at the beginning of the game, but now, you know, can be used as part of cards that are introduced. So, so I really do like it. Um, I also think it's fun that it's a system that goes up and down, right? Like it's a resource management pool that can be directly affected by your opponent. If your opponent wants you to, wants to lower your exploration count, they're just going to jump in your territory and stand on your feature tokens, right? Um, so that's how they can decrease your exploration count for each enemy fighter. So if an enemy fighter has finagled their way into your zone and got three fighters hypothetically on three feature tokens in your territory, you're losing three exploration counts, right? Which is pretty cool. Um, and again, to confirm how you gain them is when you place a feature token or, you know, for each friendly fighter that is on a feature token not in your territory um, or for each surviving friendly explorer that is not in your territory. So I really like it. What I really like about the card design as well that it has like a counting system from one to 10. So you just stick one of the counters that come in with the gnarled box. It's on the back of the wound tokens. And uh, you just kind of move it along the card and move it up the cards so that you and your opponent can clearly see what your exploration count is at all times, which is pretty cool. So yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a great summary. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this interacts with other, other rivals decks as well as just other game plans as well. Um, Invasion and combat being super important. Uh, it'll be interesting to see the power level of this compared to other playstyles. So I'm I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited as well. So um, Zach, why don't you start us off by reading the objectives? Sure, sounds good. Uh, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, we are just going to go through all the cards, uh, give our thoughts on it, and we'll just be going back and forth. So our first objective here is Bold Venturer. Uh, this is a dual. Score this in an end phase if a friendly leader is on a cover hex or lethal hex or on a feature token, and that leader is in enemy territory, one glory. Yeah, I really like the, the thematicism surrounding with this card. You know, you're, you're being bold, and that can mean sometimes ending up in a place where you don't necessarily want to end up when you're exploring. And so, your enemy leader being in enemy territory, or sorry, your leader being in enemy territory is going to happen, because this is the whole point of the deck is to be aggressive and to invade territory that doesn't belong to you. So that part's not too tricky. The part that's tricky is um, getting onto a feature token, right? Feature tokens are going to be protected by your opponent because they know that you're playing a deck that revolves around feature tokens and, and you know, standing on unique hexes. So that can be challenging. That being said, um, a lot of the new boards have printed cover or lethal hexes, which can allow you to take advantage of potentially your opponent's board if you're deciding to set up the board for that particular round, round excuse me, um, which can be fruitful to you. To you and, and quite honestly, worst case scenario, just jump in a lethal hex and take a damage for a glory. I mean, it could be worth it. Um, if it was a surge, I'd like it a little bit better, but it's, it's not a bad one. Yeah, I mean, Plant a Standard is already a card that occasionally sees play depending on the faction. And this is just kind of Plant a Standard, but better because you could do it with printed hexes as well. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's fine. I mean, yes, your opponent will be focusing on 
denying you those uh, tokens, knowing that you're playing Daring Delvers. Um, but you can always, like, I think objective placement in the in the opening stage of the game is going to be a big part of this faction, or this, uh, this Rivals deck. Um, so getting a good placement for yourself, you know, one right over the line, one in a position where your opponent can't really defend it very easily like that that's going to really change the nature of it but uh yeah i agree with everything you said though in terms of the yeah. assessment of this card what i think is interesting is that if your opponent knows because you reveal this plot card when you reveal your warband they can pers- purposefully place objectives in your zone yes right to kind of deny your options and limit your options so that's something to think about as well when we're evaluating these cards and as a listener as well that when you're building decks like your opponent can hamper your ability to do what you want to do um, in the turn zero phase of the game, if you will. Yes, absolutely. All right. Um, Next, we have Brave the Root Maze. This is a surge. Uh, Score this immediately after an activation. If three or more friendly fighters are each in a cover hex or lethal hex or on a feature token, Uh, one glory. Yeah, this is pretty cool. Um, This is like... Back in the day, it was like temporary victory, like three fighters on an objective for, you know, Surge one gl- uh, for two glory. So, this is one glory. So, they've toned it down a bit. I think it's more like everything to prove, maybe. Yeah, probably closer that to was that. Like, yeah. Um, so, it's certainly very doable, except it's a little bit more um, forgiving in that you can also jump in a cover hex or a lethal hex if you really want to. So, I as a fan, I like it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really strong. I think it's probably going to be pretty ubiquitous among any faction with multi moves. I mean, you're right to compare it to Ever Downwards, compared to Hidden Purpose or Sudden Revelation as well. Just like any of these, where it's beyond stuff and you know not necessarily uh, attack or interact with the opponent. So I think there's a lot of room here for this to be a good card. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, then we'll move on to Cautious Venture. Uh, this is a dual score in an end phase if two or more surviving friendly fighters are in enemy territory and your exploration count is three or more to glory. Yeah, this is where it starts to get a little bit more interesting because, um, you know, again, in order to explore, you need to be able to place a future token, hold a future token not in your territory, and uh, maybe have an explorer. So, Late game, you know, you mentioned upgrades that can make you an explorer. Mm-hmm. So, it's certainly doable in the late game. Early game, I think this can work too. But what you're going to need is like, look, you have two or more friendly fighters are in enemy territory. Great, right? Mm-hmm. But what you really need them to be on is while they're in enemy territory, they should be on feature tokens as well. Um, so, that way, you can kind of finagle it to where it's effectively this is hold three feature tokens early game in enemy territory, which is actually really hard. It is. Um, but once you get the upgrades and things going, this becomes, I think, a bit easier. Yeah. But I think you're going to need a larger warband, like five plus fighter warband for to reliably get this one. I think so as well. I think that's a good assessment. Um, I will say the other portion of gaining exploration count is... Um, putting down feature tokens. There are a couple of power cards that allow you to do that in this deck. Um, so I think you can compare this in some ways to fearless seekers, which is hold two feature tokens in enemy territory for two uh, glory. Um, 
that was pretty popular up until this point, but you also were able to place Gloomhex tokens, which were non-objective feature tokens, and you don't do that anymore. But now you can drop feature tokens with some of these power cards and kind of, you know, approximate the same sort of uh, action. Um, So, yeah, I think, like you said, I think this is better later. I think if you get this in your opening hand, you probably mulligan it and look for other stuff. But turn two, turn three, I think it's going to be really good. Yeah. I agree. Uh, next, we'll move on to Claim Guardians. Dual score this in an end phase if two or more surviving friendly fighters are each holding an objective and your exploration count is five or more. Two glory. Yeah, this one seems a bit harder for me um, just because the exploration count being five is pretty significant. And again, I think this rewards you to have larger warbands because it gives you more opportunities to meet one of the exploring count conditions. Um, it also helps you deny your opponent from trying to deliberately reduce your exploration count as well. Um, so I actually think this is probably one that in Rivals, I think you might struggle to score this in all three formats, actually, Rivals, Nemesis, and Championship. Yeah, I think that's very likely. Um, it is hard Exploration count five or more is a bit difficult, but it may also depend on the faction. And we can see the situations in which you might get more or less uh, as we go down the road. Um, but for now, let's move on to the next one. So next we've got Fearless Seeker, or Fearless Explorer, that is, because a different one. Uh, hybrid, score this in an end phase if two or more domain cards are in your power card discard pile or your exploration count is five or more. Uh, one glory. So I like this one a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, I like this one a little bit better because it gives you an option. So like, if you're going all in on explore, great, that's awesome. Um, but at the same time, I really think that having the domain cards available in your discard pile is really good for particular factions. Like I think of Gore Chosen mm-hmm. a lot um, when I see this card, but it it's nice. Like whether or not you score it either way in Daring Delvers and Nemesis and in Championship, you can cater to one or more of the results. Yeah. Again, five or more is a lot for one glory, but that you should be at five at least in round three. So in round three, this is kind of an auto score early on. Maybe you'll have played a couple domains. Um, Yeah, I think it's not bad. Uh, Next, we've got Pathfinders. Uh, Surge Hybrid, score this immediately after a power step if your exploration count is at least twice the round number, e.g. four or more on round two, or your exploration count is at least equal to the round number and one or more friendly fighters are explorers. Uh, One glory. I do like this one, if only because um, it's very doable early on, right? Like Surges are designed for you to get the seed glory you need um, early in the game so that you can start scoring your end phases, but also get the upgrades and stuff. And so you tra- you typically tend to mulligan for them. And in, in this particular card, um, you can get your exploration count to one, right? At the very least, and then maybe hard mulligan for a card that gives you um, a card that makes you an explorer, mm-hmm. right? But when it comes to 
the other condition there, you can also just get your count to two in round one. I think it's it's very doable, and I like it. Um, and if you really lean into the exploration count, then um, I think you can score either either opportunity really. Um, I think I disagree. I think getting to two in round one is very difficult, just because two of the ways to tick up are associated to the end phase. Uh, the only way to get it during the turn is either through placing a feature token or there's a couple things that specifically give you exploration tokens, um, which means you are fishing for power cards to do this. Now, fishing for power cards is fine. Um, and, you know, those are good power cards in general. So, may, I, I, as a surge, it's a surge that doesn't really require you to interact with your opponent, which is always nice. Um, I don't know if you're going to end up scoring this every time it's in your hand immediately, but um, I don't think it's a bad card by any means. There's always the the play if you're a faction that has feature token removal, you can destroy one, go kill an opponent, plunder, drop one, and then use that to like tick up your exploration. Um, there's like a little bit of synergy there with certain factions that can remove feature tokens. So that's that's an interesting thing to think about. Agreed. Uh, next we have sleep, Sleepless Sentries. Uh, score this in an end phase if each enemy fighter is within two hexes or of one or more friendly fighters for two glory. Yeah. Um, hmm. This one, I actually... Well, it's actually... So, it's a harder version of Unafraid, I think. It's like enemy Unafraid, right? Yeah. But it, it's again like you. It's really hard to control what your opponent is doing, and so trying to make sure that each enemy fighter is within two hexes of one or more friendly fighters. I mean, actually, actually, I think it works the same way Unafraid does, right? Yeah, kind of. Like, like because either way, even Unafraid is like all your fighters need to be within two of an enemy fighter. Yeah, so it, it's kind of it's the opposite in that, like with Unafraid your opponent could put out Molog, just like one big dude, and then you could put all your guys next to him and score unafraid. Mm -hmm. uh, this is kind of the opposite where, you know, they can right. spread out their fighters, but you can also, like, chase them down. So, like, there is some control, especially if you're a faster warband. You can just, like, chase them down and be like, haha, I'm near you. I'm going to score this. Um, but how much control you have over it is questionable, I would say. I completely agree. Yeah. Still pretty good because it's too glory either way. Uh, next, we've got Stealthy Advance. Uh, this is a Surge Duel. Score this immediately after a friendly fighter's attack action if that fighter was in a cover hex or a lethal hex or on a feature token when it made that attack action. And that fighter was not in your territory when it made that attack action. One glory. Yeah, I think this is a really good card. Because it's not doesn't even have to be a successful attack action. You just gotta make an attack. Mm -hmm. And you can do that. You can make sure that you're in enemy territory and you're in some sort of feature token or unique hex type when you make that attack. And and so I think this is a uh, ten out of ten. Yeah, especially if you're a range three fighter, super easy. Uh mm -hmm. finally or not finally, there's a couple more. Uh next one is sudden demise. Uh, this is Surge Hybrid. Score this immediately after an enemy fighter is taken out of action by a lethal hex 
or an enemy fighter is taken out of action by a gambit to glory. Yeah, so this is actually a card that is almost a direct copy of Beastgrave, mm-hmm. um, where you literally had to take a fighter by an enemy, uh, by a lethal hex or by a gambit. And I think the, this does it. I think the one in Beastgrave is only one glory, though. This is two glory. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, I was getting to that. Is that this one is two glory, um, which is why it's significantly better. Mm-hmm. Because in that particular deck, I feel like, or in Beastgrave, you would take that card. And I, the name escapes me, but Sudden Demise. No, that's no, that's this one. Hmm. A Lucky Demise? I looked it up while you are talking. Yeah. Whatever the name is. Whatever, whenever you took that card in the deck, it was just because you either just happened to be taking a lot of ping or you just couldn't figure out that next surge, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I might as well just throw this in because I think I can make it happen with some push tech and stuff like that. But now... This is a card that I think you actually want to genuinely design your deck around. Because this is a two glory swing, plus you take an enemy fighter out of action. This is a three glory surge. It's very powerful. Yes. It's a very, very powerful card. And um, I think it's definitely worth including in your deck, especially if you're an aggressive fu- warband that wants to do ping or a ranged warband that relies on ping. Yeah. Uh, unexpected Pitfall was the name of that. Mm. Uh, that was the one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely agree. Um, there's some really good ping in this deck we'll talk about as we get to the power cards. Um, there are a lot of good pings in uh, some of the more recent factions. I mean, uh, just the Gnarl Spirit pack that we talked about had some good ping in it uh, in this uh, release cycle as well. So, yeah, I think this is 10 out of 10. I think you're going to see this a lot, actually. Yeah, this is going to be in every deck until it gets restricted in championship. <laughs> Very likely, yes. Um, next, we've got Survivalist. Score this in an end phase if each friendly fighter has one or more upgrades and or is in a cover hex or on a feature token. One glory. Yeah, this is an interesting one. I think it's actually pretty difficult. Um, each friendly fighter being in a cover hex or a feature hex is hard given the fact that there's only five feature tokens on the board. And at most, if both players take a board with two cover hexes, um, they are potentially out-of-the-way cover hexes as well. So maybe you can get up to nine in some cases, but it's unlikely because delving is also such a negative thing to do nowadays because it staggers you and stuff like that. So I'm actually pretty low on this card. Um I think if you have a smaller warband, like four or three fighters, then you can rely on the upgrade portion of it. I guess in the end, fa- in, the, in the later stage of the game, this becomes a little bit easier if you have like, you know, you take attrition, you lose fighters. Mm-hmm. But for one glory, it's just a lot. It's a lot of work for one glory. I think I'm a little bit higher on it just because this is basically cryptic clues. Uh, cryptic clues also, you can stand lethal hexes. Um but Cryptic Clues also re- requires two fighters. Um, a lot of small warbands are taking Cryptic Clues just because it's a two-glory end phase that you can score without interacting with your opponent. You can just move on to stuff. You can push into things, etc., etc. Um, this is like the one glory. It's slightly easier, but also one glory. Um, I think it's fi- any faction that I think is considering Cryptic Clues can probably just slot this in in the same... It's the same kind of mindset as like you know, I'm taking 
you know, uh, dominant position and uh, supremacy. Therefore, I will take sinking feeling because I'm going to be on feature tokens anyway. I think you're going to have the same mindset here where it's like, I am taking cryptic clues. So, I'm going to be doing this. I might as well take survivalist to get the, the double dip out of it. Um, I don't think it's an exciting card by itself. Uh, it might be kind of exciting for three fighter warbands for the upgrade portion of it because it's just pretty easy for that. But like, I don't know. I, I agree that it's not like hyper reliable and a lot of warbands are going to struggle with it. I think it's very warband specific. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I think that if you're going to play this in Nemesis or Championship, mm-hmm. you're only pairing this with a warband that is four or less fighters. Yes, absolutely. Because otherwise it's too tall of an order. Yeah. Uh, then we have Terra Incognita. Uh, cool name. Surge Duel. Score this immediately after an activation if a domain card is persisting and one or more surviving friendly leaders and or explorers are not in your territory. One glory. I think this is, yeah, solid card for a Surge. Um, you know, domains are, are great and they're becoming more relevant. Um, or at least a bit more ubiquitous in terms of like options in the card pool. Mm-hmm. And so, I really like the fact that you can just move your leader into no man's land and then have a domain persisting and score this. Um, it's a very easy one glory. Um, it doesn't require much work. It doesn't require interaction. And a lot of warbands are playing fighters that are aggressive. Like, you know, if you look at the last four releases, Hexbane loves living. A Haskell is always in like the midboard waiting to pounce or strike in. And then he gets aggressive. Gorchos and are designed around being in the middle of the board and have domains, which is excellent card for them. Um, and then um, Shadeborn, Slythel's always in enemy territory, mm-hmm. you know? And then so is Skittershank, like he's trying to kill the enemy leader. So, I think this, this works really well with the last suite of warbands and with the future upcoming warbands as well. It's It's so good. Yeah, I think it's it's funny that we're I, – I agree exactly with everything you've said. Um, I think it's a great card. I think it's funny that we're rating this really highly where when Nether Maze was first coming out, we were kind of like, oh, these domain cards are weird. I don't know if you'll ever have enough support to make, to make domain cards worth, worth it. And now we're, yeah. we're looking at a card like this and we're like, yeah, domain cards are pretty good and this is a good objective for them. So, we, we've come a very long way in the last, what, like six to eight months whenever Nether Maze came out. Yeah. Almost a year now, I think, Deep came out. Yeah. Fall of last year. Yeah, something like that. Uh, but yeah, good card. Um, then we get on to our last objective. Uh, this is called Uncovered Secrets. Surge, score this immediately after a power step if your exploration count is 10 or more for three glory. Yeah. You know, in the last episode, you mentioned that they're always kind of chucking a card that's worth three glory in every single Rivals deck, mm-hmm. whether it's Faction or Universal. And this is that card. Um, these cards are generally very difficult to score. The fact that this is a Surge um, is funny because even the designers knew that <laughs> this is going to be a card that's going to be a tall order. And if you do indeed get your exploration count to 10 or more, which is you know, the limit on the card is 10, but you can go higher, um, then you deserve this three glory surge. But if it, this is happening, it's happening in the third end phase at the earliest. It's just, it's just so hard. Yeah. I mean, I think if your exploration count is 10, you've won the game anyway, <laughs> because that means you're on like basically every 
feature hex and you've put things down and you're like your opponent is not in your territory like everything's going your way so three glory win more card i mean you're never going to put this in a championship deck but i'm absolutely going to try to score this in rivals because i you know you have to bring it so i'm going to try to score it um i think it might like if you're feeling cute in a nemesis deck and you're like hey i've got one more uh surge slot maybe i'll throw this in and just like really try to go for it like really try to blow up my opponent and i think that could happen but uh not easily yeah my recommendation is if you're a new player and you're playing nemesis don't take this oh yeah absolutely your surges should be your six best objectives in theory um in your deck and this is one of the worst (laughs) surges i've seen (laughs) so only only great idiots like myself will play this and uh try to make it a legitimate card you got to uncover those secrets, man. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the la- end of the objective cards. Um, Aman, do you have a, a favorite pick out of these? Yeah, I'm going to go with Sudden Demise. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of back in the day in Nightfall. You can take cards that um, you kind of had to pack power cards to support, but then you can just score them because of your power cards. Mm-hmm. And what this does is essentially, you you know, you get a fighter vulnerable. And then you use push tech or drive back to get them into a lethal hex and take them out. Or you use your ping damage. Um, and so, maybe it's a bit of nostalgia for me, but I like it. And I like playing ping anyway, so this is a good one for me. Yeah. It's, but what about you? Yeah, I, I agree with that one. That's a, a great pick. Um, which one was I thinking of? I think I'm just going to go with Brave the Root Maze. Um hold three, either be on three feature tokens or cover hexes or lethal hexes. I think it's just so solidly all around. Um, it has similar vibes to, you know, some of the good surges we've seen in the past, like we said, but it's also a little bit more flexible and I kind of like that. So, um, yeah, I think this is going to be a pretty good ubiquitous card, especially for the sort of factions I like to play. Yeah, I agree. You know, it, it's another one of those cards where they're just like, we know they're good historically, mm-hmm. right? Like, they've just been included in decks. They've worked. Even, like, smaller warbands, like four-man warbands, will 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 tempt fate by taking these cards and, and generally come out fine. So, um, I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, so, we'll move on to the ploy cards. So, Aman, you want to start with the first one in here? First one is called Conquered Spirit. It's restricted to your leader. Play this only if your leader is inspired. Increase your exploration count by one for each enemy fighter that is out of action. This is a interesting card because up until this point, we've really only been talking about uh, exploration in terms of like, you know, kind of being flexy, passive, sort of like holding things and positioning. But like you absolutely, there is absolutely some aggro exploration support in here and this being one of them. Um, if you are playing a leader that's just going to be doing a lot of damage, especially if you're facing a, a swarmy, hordy warband like Zarbex Gits, like Exiled Dead or something like that, uh, you can pretty you can get a pretty big spike off of um, Conquered Spirit. Well, maybe not Exiled Dead because things have to stay dead and not be rezzed, but, um, but other big model count warbands. Um, even if you're just like... You know, you have a good leader who's getting inspired and you're getting two plus two to your exploration count off this. 
because you've walked up and you've killed two and now you're going to play this and and tick your uh your count up i think it's not bad uh not every warband's going to run it because if you're playing a little bit more flex if you if you are playing that more hold feature token positional style you're probably not doing as much killing but um i think there's plenty of warbands that will consider this one yeah, I, I certainly think so. I mean, it's it, some warbands have global inspire, so it's pretty easy to inspire your leader. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that like this is a deck that incentivizes you for being out of your territory, and when you're out of your territory, you're closer to the enemy. Uh, take that to account. Like you know, if you have this card in your deck, like if you're playing the rivals version, or you decide to take it in another uh, nemesis or championship, um, just be smart about it because if your leader goes down, it's a dead card, right? And you, it's. It's also not only a dead card, it's a, a loss to a potential explorer exploration count as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, while I do think that is going to be a, a popular card for those who are choosing to pair up with this particular strategy of exploration, it's one, again, that I think demands smart play. Yeah, I think that's a good assessment. Right. Well, we'll move on to the next one then. This is Flame Wisps, uh, Denizen card. Choose one friendly fighter and one enemy fighter within three hexes of that fighter and visible to that fighter. Roll two magic dice or three magic dice if the chosen fighter. Friendly fighter is a wizard. If you roll two or more matching symbols, deal one damage to the chosen enemy fighter. It's great. It's awesome. It's a good pink card. Um, I just, I I crunched the numbers on this uh, when I first looked at it. Um, If you're rolling two dice, that is if you're not a wizard, it's about a... 40-ish, it's like a 38 to 40% chance of getting the ping off, which is not amazing. It's like kind of okay. But if... Yeah, I'm pretty sure because like I played a lot of Profiteers, mm-hmm. even contest of unequals where you have to roll two successful or all successes, um, on, on two dice, it's about 42%. Yeah. So, it's not bad. It's not terrible. Um, but if you are a wizard rolling three dice and showing two channels, like... If you're rolling three dice, the only way you don't score this is if you roll crit focus channel specifically. Any other result will deal the ping damage. Um, That's pretty good. I mean, that's almost as good as like Sphere of Akshi, which was a spell uh, that dealt one damage at range four, I think, uh, for one channel. Um, So if you were a wizard back in the day, you always put Sphere of Akshi in and it was even restricted because it was such a good ping card. I think if you're a wizard, you put this in your deck 100% of the time, even in championship, if you're doing no other stuff from this deck. Um, in Nemesis, it's a solid card. Like, if your warband has a wizard, you know, this is the deck with um, uh, your favorite, uh, Sudden Demise. And if you have a wizard and this, you are sudden demising people all over the place. I think it's great. So, yeah, 10 out of 10 card mm-hmm. in almost every situation. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't know. I agree that it's good. I don't know if I'm going to rate it as highly as you. Um, just because, like, it's the same thing with, like, Hypnotic Buzz versus, like, Hypnotic Aspect. It's the same card, mm-hmm. right? But, like, one of them requires you a successful dice roll to get the job done. And I, I get hesitant when, like, rating those cards because often they're good. I think I'd much rather take a pink card that I can guarantee than just roll and kind of get an incorrect role. Um, I get what you're saying. It's pretty high odds with a wizard, mm-hmm. but I much I think that I'd rather just take Lethal Ward than Flame Wisps. But if I'm taking Lethal Ward 
and maybe another ping because I don't think suffocating miss is good anymore. And I wanted a third ping, and I have a wizard. Then flame wisp might be my second or third ping. I think that's fair. Like you usually don't want to roll dice when you don't have to. I, my only counterpoint is that there's not as much positioning in this as there is in something like lethal ward. Like your opponent could just not be on uh, objectives. Like that's a thing. Um, and this, all you have to do is just have your wizard within three, which is, you know, a solid range differential. So, um, I get what you're saying, like less dice rolled, the better. I think you're right. Lethal War probably goes in before this, but like if you're bringing two or more ping, I think one of them is probably going to be flame wisps. If you're a wizard faction, maybe, maybe not if you're not a wizard. I actually think the stock of this card rises when you have multiple wizards in your warband because you have more opportunities to play it and it doesn't rely around one specific fighter anymore. Um, and I think that's where I find it to be more interesting. For example, with Crimson Court or Curse Breakers, this becomes more compelling, I think, to me. Yeah. Exile Dead also has two wizards for a fun note. Uh, that's yeah. right. But I know Aman loves his uh, Crimson Court. Great models, great fun. And I know Zach loves his Exile Dead. I do, I do. Uh, so I think we're both like that one. We'll move on to Grasping Root Grave. Uh, this is a domain card. So talking about domains a little bit more. Uh, you cannot play this in the final power step of a round at the end of the, at the end of the action phase. Deal one damage to each fighter adjacent to a feature token. This effect persists until the end of the phase or until another domain gambit is played. I kind of like it. And I like it because so, it's good when it's comboed with a push. Mm-hmm. Like, if I am next to a fighter who's on a feature token, like maybe a hex away or two hexes away, and I can pull them off me and maybe pull another fighter closer. If I, th- I think at any point, if you can get two fighters that are enemy fighters adjacent to one feature token, then this is a very, very good card. But I think in order to get that to happen... It's not going to come up organically very often. You're going to have to manipulate the board to where it happens through power cards and gambits, I think. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. It's, I I think the downside, of course, is that your opponent can also be playing pushes um, if they have a way to push your fighters. Like, you want to be on feature tokens, right? And if your opponent has a way to push you one hex and then adjacent, now you're also getting pinged by this. So, it's like, it is up and down. I think it's interesting because it's a card that both you and your opponent can take advantage of. Um, I don't like playing cards that have that big of a downside for myself. So, I'm I'm not crazy about it. But I think like you said, like there's a lot of ways, especially if your faction has ways to push um, or reposition opponents. Um, it's really good. Uh, also, there's we'll talk about a couple more cards down the line that allow you to place feature tokens. So there's a world where you play this and then later on you just slap a feature token down next to somebody underneath you next to an opponent and that sort of thing. And you're just like, okay, well, now you have exactly one turn to get away from this. Otherwise, you're going to get pinged by Grasping Root Grave at the end of the round. So there, it's like it's more of a combo piece than it is like a singularly powerful card. And I think that's interesting. Yep, completely agree. Uh, we'll move on to, we'll move on to Quick Roots. This is a trap. We haven't seen a trap in a while, I don't think. Um, 
reaction, play this after an enemy fighter's activation if that fighter has one or more move and or charge tokens. Deal one damage to that fighter. Yeah, so I agree. We haven't seen a trap in a while. Um, and traps are historically very good cards. And this is a very, very good card. Um, because oftentimes when an enemy fighter takes an action, they're going to end up with, like, more often than not, a move or charge mm-hmm. token. And you get to immediately punish them for it. And this is really good. I mean, think about, you know, you're playing against maybe an objective holding warband. They jump onto a feature token. You react and trap them with uh, quick roots, deal a damage. That scores you chum the waters. Yes. That scores you, that forces you, that helps you eliminate an enemy fighter. Um, if, a, if a vulnerable fighter, you know, oftentimes when a fighter is on its last legs, sometimes players will just be like, well, I might as well activate this particular fighter now because I probably won't be able to after this turn because he'll probably be dead, mm-hmm. right? And then you can just say, they're dead anyways. Boom. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> Everything you said, most of the time you're moving, most of the time you're getting value out of this. I think this might be like restrict worthy. Like this is a really powerful ping. Very strong. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is three, re- like the two pings before this were reasonable. This is a good ping. Like that's three playable ping cards in a row. And that's, whew, that's a lot for a single rivals deck. So, um, Shout out to Far Striders and Profiteers. Yeah, they're good. And Worms. They're going to go crazy with this deck. Good times. Worms Bat love the. Uh, yeah, gr- love the. Pain. Yeah, all of these are actually pretty good for Worms Bat because you do have a wizard and you do have uh, some play with Grasping or Crit. Yeah, I think Worms Bat's going to have a, a blast with this for sure. Uh, next, we have Significant Find. Pick one. Place one available feature token in an empty hex, two or more hexes away from each fighter, or increase your exploration count by one if one or more surviving friendly explorers are not in your territory. Yeah, I like this card. I like this card for multiple reasons. I like the card at first because you can, if an enemy opponent has taken a feature token out, like their warband can just do that, you can throw it back in. But if all those feature tokens are in, keep in mind that this is not the plunder reaction. This is a specific card that allows you to pick from a pool of available feature tokens. Plunder specifically says place the feature token objective side up. Snare hexes don't have an objective side, so they can't be selected by plunder. But right here, throw in a snare hex. Make it fun. Now your opponent can get staggered if they get pushed into it, which is a bonus for you because then it's easier to hit them. The second part of or just increase your exploration count by one. If one or more friendly surviving explorers are not in your territory, that's the whole point of the deck. You know? So, I think it's a, it's a solid card overall for this strategy. Um, then if you really want that snare hex, then you can probably take this past rivals into Nemesis and Championship. Yeah, well, not only that for Championship, but the other side of the snare hex is a cover token. This is has solid little uh, combos with something like Shadeborn. You can play this, throw down a cover hex in enemy territory, and then Slithael Shadow Assault right to that cover hex that you've just now kind of placed where you need it to be. Um, because it's two or more away. And you've yeah, got and she's ranged too. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. 
it's pretty cool. I think this is um, there's a lot of play to it. it. It's not like it's not like ooh wow exciting, but it combos so well with everything the deck's trying to do. I think it's great. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, next we have solid position. This reads: friendly fighters in enemy territory cannot be pushed. This effect persists until the end of the next power step. Yeah, this is cool in theory. Um, I like the... Like, when playing Rivals, there's going to be a moment when you're like, I just... I really hope in this situation my fighters can't be moved. Mm -hmm. Right? Maybe it's towards the end... Or towards the end of a round. So you can limit the options your opponent has. That's cool. I like it. It works well in this deck. I think in Nemesis and Championship, you're going to not take this card. Because it's only for one, uh, it's only for one round. It's until the next power step. And well, I just I will say it is until the end of the next power step. And I think that yeah. so, so that gives it some play. So if it's you went first in a round, it's activation. It's your activation for you move into a position. You've got a few guys in enemy territory. You play this, they can't push you this power step. They can't drive you back in the next activation. They can't push you in their their next power step. That's a long time where you can't be pushed. You can't be pushed off well, tokens except by Drifting Tides. And that's, I think there's value in that. Sure. I mean, and, and I think like, you know, Gorchosen might like this card, right? Sure. Particularly, but I, I see what you're saying. I don't think you're wrong. I just think that there are better cards out there. Yeah, I in a in a in a format that involves multiple cards, like multiple decks. Yeah, I don't think this makes a cut in championship. I just I think it makes it in Nemesis. It obviously you have to take in rivals, but like I think yeah. specifically in Nemesis, it will come up enough that you will consider taking it. But I, I think that's maybe out. I'm down to be wrong on that for sure, though. Yeah, I mean, the only scenario that I keep thinking about, there's two actually. One is, I went first, it's my fourth activation, I have all my fighters in the perfect position, I play this at the end of my power, or like right at the start of my power step, because I get to play my power card first, and then you can't manipulate any of my fighters, including through drivebacks, for the rest of the round. Yes. That's cool, that's powerful, I get that. You know, you said you kind of you kind of said that earlier, but yeah, I mean, I I don't know. In some situations, that can be game winning. Sure, um, yeah, maybe 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 it's a little bit better than I'm giving it credit for. But it, it's funny. I just don't think it's a very. It's funny because I feel like this is the we're, we have this backwards of the same situation we had with drifting tides, where I was like, I just don't think the push on drifting tides is going to win the game often enough for it to be really good. And you were the one who was like. Yo, sometimes Drifting Tides will just straight up win you the game and it has to go in a deck. And I feel like we're kind of in the opposite situation here. Where it's like, yeah, sometimes this is not going to be very useful, but sometimes it'll straight up win you a game. And I think that's worth the consideration because people keep their pushes for the last activation. If your opponent is holding center of attention and you play this in that time frame that we were talking about, center of attention is dead. That is a useless card. Uh, And I think that's super important to think about. Yeah, and again, like, I agree. It's a game-winning card. 
I still don't know if it goes in like Chink. in ever as is as ubiquitous as drifting tides will be. But in, in Nemesis, I, I'd maybe give it a second look. I wouldn't dismiss it as first. As easily as I probably would have until this conversation. That's fair. That's fair. And and we'll all learn as we play some Nemesis games and see what cards, you know, gain or lose value. Uh, next, we've got Spirit Snare Cavern. This is another domain. Long one here. After a fighter's charge action, that fighter's player rolls one attack dice for each fighter in their warband that is out of action. If they roll one or more crits, deal one damage to the fighter that made the charge action. This effect persists until the end of the round or until another domain gambit is played, as usual. Uh, what, do you, what do you make of that one? It's an interesting one. I mean, it's it's a very defensive card. You know, it's it's designed for you to play in a warband where you're kind of in a good position and you're just sitting and chilling. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not the beatdown. You're trying to prevent the beatdown from beating you down and disincentivize them. Ultimately, I think if I need to make a charge to kill you and I have to take damage in the process, I'll probably just do it. Um, and it's only for a crit, right? Like, this starts... Getting wild if you have three or more fighters out of action. Because right. that's when the crits start like coming in because you're in the 40 percentile. But before that, I don't think it's something that you need to worry about too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, one damage is, is, is not like terrifying. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it, this feeds back in a little bit to the aggressive side of things uh, that we saw early on with Conquered Spirit where it's like you know cards that benefit you for being aggressive as well as doing the passive positioning type things I just don't think this is a very good version of it Uh, so we'll move on to the next card which is also domain actually this is called Tangled Roots after a fighter's charge action stagger that fighter this effect persists, et cetera, et cetera, domain wording. A, a little bit more straightforward. Yeah, this one, yeah, this it's similar to the last one in that it disincentivizes charging. But, I mean, like, if you're playing against someone who's playing Tooth and Claw, mm-hmm. they're happy because then you've just made their fighter, um, what's it called? Uh, savage. But they'd already be savage, savage because you're savage when you have a charge token. You have the charge yeah. token anyways. That's yeah. true. Um Again, this is a defensive card. They attack you, and then you have a better chance of counterpunching them. Yeah. I think if this is the card, this is the type of card where it's like, hey, I need another domain card to make all my domain objectives kind of move smoothly. And you've used all the good domains, then you probably throw this in. Yeah. Uh, la- there, next, we have Temporary Haven. Pick one. Place one available feature token in a hex occupied by a friendly fighter not in your territory, or increase your exploration count by one if one or more friendly fighters are each on a feature token not in your territory. Yeah, this one's really cool. I like it because if you are trying to score end phase cards that involve your fighters holding objectives, and those objectives have, for whatever reason, been removed, um, or maybe even cover, right? Because you can place a feature token and those snare hexes have a cover on one side, Mm -hmm. then you can kind of create situations that can help you score those cards. At the very least, you can improve your exploration count, which helps you 
with the progress of this deck. What I really like about the card and other cards like these is that it's clearly really good for the exploration mechanic, but if you decide to play this in Nemesis or Championship, where the efficiency or the efficacy of the exploration mechanic is reduced by, you know, polluting your deck with other cards that are not organic to it, then you still have another cool effect on the front end of the card. Yeah, I think um, it's good just because a lot of cards don't even, it's not even necessarily care about objective. Um, it, uh, it, it the, a lot of them care about feature tokens and you can just drop down a snare X token, which is fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, even just like dropping down a cover under your feet, you know, moving up with a two dodge fighter or a two block fighter, and then temporary haven dropping a, a a cover under your feet is without having to delve, without having to take that a uh, stagger token in the processes. Even that's just really powerful. So yeah, it's a, I think it's good. Yeah, it's a very interesting card. Uh, next, and this is the last ploy actually. We have Zone of Control, another domain, interestingly. Fighters are on guard while they are in a starting hex or on a feature token. This effect persists as long as domain card persists. It's cool. I mean, it. it um, it's probably one of the least exciting domains we've seen, I think, in the deck thus far. The guard is powerful, um, unless you're fighting against knockback fighters. Mm-hmm. Um, the card art, I think, is the coolest part of this card, actually. <laughs> yeah, is is that Zarshia Bitter Soul and Yeltharia across from each other? Yeah, there's like giant chasm in the middle, each on a cliff staring at each other. Green life energy versus, you know, fire energy yeah. magic. It's pretty cool. It's pretty sick. Um, what do you think about the card? I, I don't really have much to say about it, if I'm being honest. I mean, I think it's strong but boring. Like... Hey, think about it this way. Um, feature tokens can often be cover, whether you delve them or you're using your cards to drop cover hexes onto the board uh, with the, the couple power cards we've talked about. Um, if it's a cover hex and then you're automatically on guard while you're in that cover hex, like we already know how strong guard and cover hexes are. Like that's that's a, a silly combo. Um I think the other thing, interesting thing to note here is that it works on starting hexes. So this can make round one really safe for you where you like, um, you play this in the very first power step and then you're like, okay, I haven't activated a bunch of my dudes, but they're all in guard because they're all in starting hexes. Um, and that's just like, it's safe. It's a safe card. It's not exciting. I'm not like, I'm not looking at my hand being like, Ooh, wow, this is a great card to have. I'm so excited to play this card, but like, I think I'll just play it every time it's available to me, you know? Yeah, I mean, you're right. In that early game, it does increase the survivability of your fighters. Um, I'm thinking, like, especially your leader. Mm. You know, use most leaders are on two dice. Putting them on guard is pretty nice. I'm thinking, like, purifiers, like, Bahadar sits in the front, right? Yeah. Because he's, like, the tankier of the four. Yeah. And then now he's on guard. It's pretty powerful. Even Glissette. It can be pretty potent. So you're right. It's 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 strong. It can be very potent in, in a lot of cases, but Yeah, I also think it's just meh. Yeah. Yeah, same. It it doesn't excite me as much as the other ones. But um speaking of exciting, which is your favorite ploy of these ten that we just talked about? Yeah. Um 
It's interesting. I think it's Quick Roots. I just like trap cards. Like back in the day when you can play trap, pit trap, and they could both work off each other. It was great. Because you hit a four wound fighter with two damage and then trap and then pit trap and they died. It was great. Oh man, remember Slick Rock? What a great card that was. Yeah, that was uh, short-lived. Yeah, short-lived. Uh, yeah, I think Quick Roots is awesome. I think it's a, a great pick. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Flame Wisps, another pink card. We have yeah. two very good pink cards in here and for the factions I like to play, Flame Wisps is awesome. So, I dig it. Yeah. Yeah, I knew you were going to go for that one. It's cool. Yeah, you can't not, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a cool one. I'm more positive on it. But again, only in certain war bands. Only sometimes, yes. Yes. Okay, well, now we're off to the upgrades and uh, home stretch here. Mm -hmm. First card is all-terrain gear. This fighter is an explorer. Plus one move. Plus two move instead, while a domain gamut is persistent. It's fine. I mean, we've talked in the past about how like uh, plus one move, plus two move aren't like terribly exciting. They usually have to come with some other sort of big upside. I think you, I mean, if you're playing Nemesis or Rivals where there are a lot of domains in this because there are like what three domains in this deck and a lot of modern factions have domain cards, um, you will often get the plus two move. So plus two move plus getting the explore keyword, that's fine. I don't know if it's crazy it's not like super powerful it's not the first card i'm gonna put in my deck but it's like yeah if you want to have explorers it's a good card yeah this is this is a card that you know it's interesting because like in some cases there are some domains in this deck that will disincentivize you from moving having a move token yeah right so it's it's very very interesting because this card is just here because they need you to engage with the explorer mechanic Mm-hmm. Outside of this deck, this card doesn't bring much value, if at all. Um, maybe in Gorchosen, again, because they just have a lot of infaction domains. But I could see that. But do you really are you really looking for a plus two move card on Gorchosen? I mean, they're all three move. That's true. Uh, I in my mind, I'm like, oh, they're two range on two of them. But yeah, they are all pretty slow in the end in the end phase. So yeah. Making Gorhulk 5 move is no joke. That's true. It's not bad at all. Something to think about. Yeah. Uh, Next one is Claim Jumper. This fighter is an explorer. Fighters adjacent to this fighter cannot be given guard tokens or be on guard. Um, That's so hard to evaluate. Like, guard is like... It's such a weird mechanic because it's either either you're getting it super easily or you don't care about guard at all. Like, it's very rare that people make the guard action. It's it's pretty niche to just go on guard. But if you're the sort of fighter that gets, just is on guard, like Lizette, like some other fighters, or you have something like um, Shadow Keeper where you're on guard for that entire round, Claim Jumper is really, really, really powerful uh, to turn those things off. But against a lot of people, like, the guard portion of this is just not going to come up. So, it's it's kind of a weird one to evaluate. It is a weird one to evaluate, and I think it's actually a card that you're going to take if it's meta. Yes. If there are a lot of people jumping on cover hexes or feature tokens, and they're just really hard to kill because everyone's on guard, then you might tack this in. 
Mm-hmm. Especially because, you know, if you have a weaker matchup or a matchup that you think you'll see a lot because it's a meta warband meta style, then I think this jumps in. Otherwise, <laughs> this jumps in claim jumper. But <laughs> otherwise, it's uh, unremarkable, I think, outside of the rivals format. Yeah. The next card is Conqueror's Circlet. It's restricted to a leader. Plus one move. Each other friendly fighter's move characteristic is equal to this fighter's move characteristic. That's really weird. I mean, it's cool. I think this is actually a really interesting card. Um, but for like really specific factions, uh, not everybody cares about this. But giving plus one move to your entire faction when you're a three move faction or like Say your leaders, um, I'm trying to think of factions with mixed uh, move speeds. Because if your leader is faster than a lot of your other fighters, and you like slap this on your leader and suddenly your other fighters are not getting plus one, but they're getting like plus two, plus three to their movement, that could be really strong. Like, for example, um, Sarakar, uh, it, Blackwing in Naros. You can make him move seven with this. Yeah, you can make him move seven and then all your other fighters are move seven. That's like, that's pretty terrifying. You can throw this on Kishitaka, make him move five, and then Clacktrock is move five. That's like also pretty scary. Um, I'm sure there's other ones that I'm not thinking about right now, but like, yeah, there's some interesting um, combinations here. Like, some factions just like don't care. But if you're like, I say, I guess Condemners, where everybody's move three, range one, and suddenly you throw this on Gwyn Iron Soul, and now everybody's move four by one upgrade, and that is just until she dies. Yeah, that's really not bad. I think I think the benefit of this card, and, and I was looking through the warbands too, but most leaders are the same move as the majority of the fighters in their warband, mm-hmm. right? Like think Grimwatch gets Magors, whatever. Sure. But this, what, what this card does is don't think about it as like my leader is this or that. This is every fighter is plus one move. Yes. That's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. If you've got a four wound fight, four movement fighter warband. Sorry. No, I don't even know why I keep throwing the word fighter in there. Grimwatch. All four move. How much scarier are Grimwatch when they're all five move? Skaven. They're all five move. How much scarier are they when they're six move? Yeah, absolutely. You know? Same with Fiends. They're all three move. But now they're four move, which is what they usually get inspired. And then when they inspire, they're all five move. Yeah. That's, that's, this is a really good card, actually. Yeah, it, it's weird. It's like, at first I was like, plus one move. And then I was like, ooh, plus one move on everybody. Pretty good, actually. It's nutty. It's nutty if you get this early. Yes. The downside of this card is not drawing it or drawing it too late. Or just drawing it when your leader's dead. Like, your leader gets ganked of course. early. Yeah. Of course, of course. Yeah. But but otherwise, solid card. I think so. Like, very uniquely solid. Um, I think it's... Is it you reading or it's me? You're reading, you're reading. Yeah. yeah. I got very excited off that card. <laughs> yeah. It's an exciting card. Yeah. Dowsing Limb is the next card. This fighter is an explorer. Reaction. After this fighter's activation, scatter two from this fighter's hex and push this fighter up to two hexes along the chain. Up to two, I think, is the interesting word here, wording here because it means you can push zero. You can roll the dice. Always roll the yep. dice and see if it 
is something you want to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, you just point the hammer in the direction you want to go to and you're pretty likely to move in that direction. Um, you can think of it in the same way as soundless step. Uh, so it's soundless step, but less reliable because it's the scatter randomness. But it has a potentially higher upside. Like if if it goes, like if you point in a direction, you roll hammer hammer. Like push two after you activate is it's really strong. Like that's actually really really powerful. Um, but of course, you could always just roll like double support, single support, and just like go backwards, and that's obviously not good. Uh, but then you just don't have to push. So I actually think this is good. I actually think you might end up taking this even outside of um, even outside of the explorer mechanic. I think the the push mechanic, the rivals format. Well, yeah. It, um, in general, I think the push mechanic on this is strong enough to be considered. Yeah, I agree. And if you don't want to have to worry about dice rolls, it is a little bit of redundancy here, but there's something wrong. There's nothing wrong with maybe double redundancy every once in a while. Mm-hmm. You could pair this with Shrewd Wits if you really wanted to. And yeah. <laughs> you can you can scatter two and then move another two. So, you can move four in theory, I was, which is pretty, I pretty was crazy. just thinking the other day about how I'm like, ah, oh, man, Shrewd Wits, is, Shrewd Wits is like so useless on anybody that's not Zarbag's Gits. But now, uh, you know. Now you know why I got restricted. Yeah, look at that. But yeah, it's a good card. I think it's solid. Yeah, interesting. Um, the next one is Enshrouded Shot. Attack action. Range 4, 2 smash, 1 damage, Grievous. This fighter can only make this attack action while on a feature token. It's cool. I mean... Um, I think it's one of the better ranged attacks we have right now. It's only competing, I think, with Phantom Darts because I think the other option is Cursed Blunderbuss, which is terrible. I think all the other range three plus attack actions have rotated out. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're looking for a long range attack action, like, yeah, you have to be on a feature token, but there's five in the game. This deck gives you ways to put them on. Um, and a range four attack action is good. Like, you can equip this and then charge onto a uh, objective token and then take a shot. It's cool. I think it's fine. Yeah, I like ranged attack actions. Um, I especially like them on warbands that like making a lot of attacks, whether it's tied to their inspire or to their cards or their objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is really good. Um, this actually is pretty good in uh, even hex pains as well, if you think about it. Sure. Uh, you know, because it just allows you to make more attacks at range, if you will. Um, but even outside of them, solid card. You could give it to a skink on an objective. They're just chilling. Pot shots if they need to. I think this might be good in Sons of Velmorn because you are yeah. getting that free support and your regular attacks are pretty mediocre. You know, giving a Graveguard range four, two hammer, always supported, Grievous one is like, you could do a lot worse than that. Yeah, and I think you paired this with Glory Seeker right in Championship, and sure, you're seeing some cool things happen. You could even or pair you can it with, go Fighters Ferocity. Yeah, I was just about to say, go for that Grievous two. Yeah, get Grievous two and, and hit three damage from afar. Crit fishing, but hey, man, we've all relied on crits before. It's name of the game. The next one is a card that I think you'll like a lot, just based on the card art. Ah, uh, my boy. <laughs> I don't ever, ever, ever in my life want 
to call anyone who looks like that my boy. <laughs> if I do, just tell me because I have messed up. <laughs> um, this card is called Final Say. Reaction. After a gambit is played that chooses one or more friendly fighters, give this fighter one charge token and break this card. When you do, the gambit is not resolved. Yes, it is a picture of Dentalos uh, casting a counter spell. It's a very blue-black magic uh, mechanic here. We don't have that many counter spell effects in the game. There was a counter spell in season one, and it was like roll a dice, and sometimes a gambit card would not happen. Um, this is just straight up stop something from happening. Now it does give you a, a, a charge token. Certain factions don't care about that. Uh, a lot of factions don't care about that because you usually have one fighter that's just like, you know, chilling on a backfield objective or something and they can have charge token, whatever. Um, turn off a gambit for an upgrade is kind of a good trade, actually. It's a great trade-off. Yeah. It's a great trade-off. Especially when it doesn't say that the fighter that you that has equipped this can't have a charge token when they're making it. Right. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, like any, if, especially if it's like a fighter that has already charged, stick this on. Again, could be, could win you the game. It can, absolutely. Stop the distraction, stop the whatever. I mean, stop center of attention is if they choose a friendly fighter with the center of attention, you just go, nah. (laughs) Actually, no. Um, It's really good. Yeah. And I mean, just because they're, they're my guys, um, you can just put this on Regulus or any of the zombies, and because they're not the ones making the actions, they don't care about having a charge token. So, like, throw yeah. this on Regulus, he gets a charge token, he shuts down a thing, and you're just like, okay, I'll just use Markov to make a charge with him anyway. Well, the zombies can still attack anyways if they have charge tokens. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so, again, doesn't matter. And if you think about it, this is really good because oftentimes gambits can be restricted, and someone will pay for a card like, you know, I don't know. I guess none of the cards restricted right now are like that. Um, but we may see some in the future. But we may some see in the future, yeah. So um, I think the only downside to this is that it is an upgrade. It is telegraphed. Like, your opponent, they can use a lower value um, gambit to try to bait it out. Like, if they have two choose gambits in their hand, they could use the lower value one. And if you react... You know, that lower value one goes away, then they use the higher value one. And if you don't react, then the lower value one goes off anyway. Um, So, it allows them to mind game you a little bit, but either way, you're getting value out of it. So, so, so back to that, I play a lot of Hearthstone, right? Yes. If you play Mage or against Mage, they have a card. It's a secret. Secrets means that they proc when a a certain trigger event occurs. Mm Mm-hmm. But you don't know what secret it is, so it's uh It could be ice block, it could be a counterspell. Exactly. Yeah. So, it's counterspell. This is what this card is, mm-hmm. except you know that it's there. But the idea is the same, is that whenever a mage has a secret and you really need to test a spell off, you sometimes will wait a turn or waste a spell so that you can make sure it's not counterspell. But the interesting thing about that is that while you have said yourself that, you know, your opponent might try to do that to bait it out, which you certainly can. Because you as a player can choose when to react. So, it is a bit more skilled than the counter spell example I'm giving you. The fact is that it might force them to play a card they don't want to play just so they can play the right card. Yes, absolutely. And if you're waiting on one card to stop, 
and you've seen this data the card already because you've played it before in round one or in game one and this is game two or game three you can just wait for the perfect moment and i i think that's very compelling mm. i think it's powerful yeah i love this card Next one is a Gifted Sight. This is a mutation, so mutation cards have all have the same special rule. Um, if a fighter kills an enemy fighter, then you can just, if this card happens to be in your hand, you can just put it on them as a reaction. You don't have to pay the glory. Or you can just use it as a regular upgrade if you want to. But all this card does is it makes you an explorer, and blocked hexes do not block line of sight. It's not good. I mean, it's not bad. Like, it's not a downside. There's no, there's no negative associated with this. So, like, in in rivals, you're going to use this because you have to, and it's going to make you an explorer. So it's going to make your deck kind of work. Cool. In nemesis, you're probably not taking this unless you really want explorers to make the exploration count work. And then you might bring this because it's like a free explorer upgrade. Blocked hexes don't like line of sight. Who cares? Like, there's not that many in the game right now. There's like one board that has three. Sorry, there's two boards that have three blocked hexes. And it doesn't really matter for most fighters in the game. So uh, it's, it's a, it's, it's a bad card. It's never going to make the cut in championship. It probably won't make the cut in nemesis, but I don't know. It is what it is. Yeah, if you look at all the legal boards in Championship, and I excluded all Beast Grave and Arena Mortis, mm-hmm. there are nine boards with blocked hexes on them. But when you get into boards that have impactful blocked hexes, where it's usually a block of two or three or more, mm-hmm. then there's only three boards. So, yeah, it's like uh, three, it's like what? Four, actually. It's like what? Soul Refractor, Shaishin Stardial. The biggest one is Shaishin Stardial and Soul Refractor. Those are the two biggest ones. Yeah, we also have Amber Trap Nest, which can be well. That's annoying. That's Dire Chasm, so that's going to go away. Oh, that's right. And so is Men Here's a Binding. So like, yeah, it, it's Chamber of Genesis. Chamber of Genesis is the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Here. That's another one that might be impactful, but I don't think it's going to be that impactful, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, so actually, if you take out the Direchasm number, mm. which is one, two, and Arena Ward is two, three, four. Yeah, so it comes down to five. Meh. I guess without us meandering over this too much, I think the idea here is that it's better for ranged fighters. Yeah, sure. Um, like a range two or range three warband, like Creepers or Profiteers or Far Striders, even Hexbane's cool. But even then, there are other upgrades, I think, that are worth it over just being able to see through block hexes. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Next one is Nine Lives. This fighter is an explorer. When this fighter would be dealt damage by Gambit or Lethal Hex, roll a magic die. On a roll of a channel, this fighter is not dealt damage. Um... So, for those of you who don't know, the channel is three faces on the magic dice. So, this is a 50-50 to just not be dealt damage uh, by lethals or gambits. Um, I think this is the best explorer card we've seen so far, uh, other than maybe the uh, scatter and push one. Actually, I take that back. Dowsing Limb is much better than this, but I think this is the second best explorer card we've seen so far. Um, 
There's a lot of cards that allow you to ignore lethals, uh, notably um, Born in Agony, I think is the one from um, uh, uh, Elthane's uh, Soul Raid that's really popular. That one just allows you to ignore lethals. This is uh, ignore lethals 50% of the time, but you can also ignore um, gambits 50% of the time. And there are some good ping gambits introduced in this set, so that will be very, very popular. And there's some very popular ping damage cards in uh, factions as well. So, like, yeah, it's good. You can just, like, throw it on your most important fighter, and then you can kind of wade in and not really be too scared of your opponent popping out damage because you have a good chance to ignore it. So, yeah, I think it's fine. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because if pink cards become super prevalent in the meta, which they might because there's a bunch of pink cards and, you know, the universal rival decks that have come up with Gnarl Spirit, then the stock of this card goes up. But if those cards aren't as prevalent or ubiquitous in the meta then this card is not very interesting mm-hmm. because the effect, the chance to ignore the damage doesn't come up as much. The chances, I think the number, right? Like if you're running, if everyone's running ping damage, then you're going to proc this more. But if it's just one card, it's not worth the upgrade in my opinion. So Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's something you just got to wait to see the, how the meta is. It's interesting in Nemesis because... I'm trying to think of what ping damage cards are in Rivals decks. Like, other than this one, other than the two in this box, like, are there even ping damage cards in, um, like, Maze Breachers, for instance, or Illusory Might? I don't think so. So, most of the time, it's coming from faction decks. So, eh, it, it, you're right. I think it's a little hard to evaluate, and you'll we'll just have to see what cards kind of bubble to the top. Exactly. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Next one is Plundered Knowledge. Reaction after this fighter's activation in which its attack action took an adjacent target out of action. Pick one. Increase your exploration count by two or draw two power cards. It's awesome. It's very good. Um, If you care about exploration, this helps you tick that up really quickly. I mean, if you get this early on in round one and you're playing an aggro warband, like, you can very easily score those uh, five exploration token things in round one. That's possible with this card. But even if you don't care about exploration, like even if you're championship and you just want draw, kill a person draw two is really good as well. Very good. Yeah, so this is just good on every front. I think it's good in every single format. I mean, Duel of Wits is just draw two one time. Yeah. And it's restricted. You can proc this multiple times. Like even on a on a big fighter like Malog, right? Like Yes, he's range two, but you can just make sure that you're adjacent to your threat. Yeah, right? I mean, Malag used Tome of Offerings, and that was adjacent as well. So yeah, um, yes, yeah, good cool card. card art too. Yeah, hey, it's your it's your boy. Look at him. It's my boy Duval. <laughs> Last card, Prospector. This fighter is an explorer. Reaction after this fighter's activation, place one available feature token within one hex of this fighter, then give this fighter one charge token. That's a weird one to evaluate. You don't have to do the reaction, so you can kind of stall it out and do it later on when you don't care about the charge token as much. Or if you're making a charge, you can just do it and then drop the token afterwards because you've already got a charge token. Now you have two, so whatever. Um, Is placing a feature token 
one or more times per game worth an upgrade slot? No. I don't think so either. Because plunder exists. Yes. I guess this is this is like the passive version of plunder where you're like, hey, you're Hrothgorn, you've just removed a feature token. I don't think I'm going to kill Thrathnir very easily. I'm going to use Prospector to get that back. But even that's like not happening very often. Um, I guess the other use is like, I've just made a char- I'm, you know, I'm a two-touch fighter. I'm, um, let's say I'm a Drepper, right? I'm Drepper. I've just made a charge. I'm in enemy territory. Now I react with this and I just drop a cover hex under my feet. And now I'm in a cover hex token. Um, and that's very reasonable as well. It's like there's a lot of reasonable uses for this, but not a lot of good uses for it. Yep. I think this is this is interesting because like so there's ten well this is the sixth upgrade in this ten upgrade deck mm-hmm. that makes you an explorer. Correct. And so all of this is relevant, right? Just even if this card said nothing else but this fighter is an explorer. Which in my eyes, this and Altering Gear kind of do say that. True. Um, it's still relevant to you because this is your game plan. You're trying to get that exploration counter counter tick up. So you can score cards. I like that they did incorporate secondary uses out of these cards, but I just think that this isn't very compelling, this reaction. I, I guess it's a double dip for the... Um uh, for the exploration count because you put this on, you're an explorer, so you're as long as they're in enemy territory at the end of the round, you'll get you'll go up one, and then when you place a feature token with this reaction, you also go up uh one with your exploration count because that's another way to increase your count. So you're right; it is really relevant to this rival deck specifically, or nemesis, if, or I guess championship. If you are running this plot card, I don't think you'll run this plot card as much in championship as you will in nemesis. Um, for purposes of trying to score these cards, I think it's a good card because, like I said, go up by two without having to interact with the opponent at all is like solid. But outside of that, it's really hard to to talk about it as a good card. Yeah. Yeah, I think we ending on probably one of the weaker upgrades in the set, but there's some solid ones in here. Mm-hmm. And speaking of solid upgrades, Zach, which one's your favorite? It's a hard choice, um, but I'm just going to go with Dowsing Limb. I think it's extremely good. Yeah, it's a good card. Um, I wanted to say Final Say just because it'd be a fun pun, but I'm not going to lie. Plundered Knowledge is so good. 10 out of 10. And it has my current favorite warband in the art with my new favorite warband in the art. So that's a good reason to pick a card, honestly. I think uh, it is. I think getting card art is is just as important. Yeah, and I will say card art in both these rivals decks is sick. Yes, they really stepped up uh, the art production in this set. There were some there were some hit or misses during the Harrowdeep and Nethermay seasons, but everything we've seen so far has just been smoking. Yeah, it's really unfortunate, really, if you talk about card art, because, like, most of the card art is solid. Mm-hmm. But then you can tell, like, there was just some more bands that were given to maybe a different artist who maybe didn't have the bandwidth to do that. And then whoever that artist was 
still created great work, um, but it's not on the same level as the standard that was set with the beginning of Heredy. Yeah, I don't you think know? there's any bad ones out there. I just think there's something I mean, like... Gorcho's an art is pretty bad. I wouldn't call any of it bad. I would just say that for me specifically, um, there's a certain aesthetic that really screams Underworld to me. And some of the card art did not share that aesthetic. Uh, but yeah, I think, but I think for sure, um, uh, like you said, plundered knowledge is just, it's just so good. I mean, it's good in every way, increasing your count, drawing cards. It's useful for aggro. It's useful for, um, you know, like grindy aggro. You don't have to be fast bursty aggro either. It's just, it's just a nice card in general. Um, I think overall this, we can talk a little bit now about the overall uh, feel of the deck now that we've gotten through all of it. So, Amon, what do you think? How do you, what do you think about this as a rivals deck? First of all, yeah. So, as a cohesive deck, like I think when even compared to Tooth and Claw, like this deck has more synergy, um, and that's because almost every single card revolves around this mechanic of exploring, mm-hmm. um, but. To the point where, like, it has, it doesn't, like, I don't think feeling force is the correct phrase, but, like, you can tell that it's very deliberate in a lot of examples, right? Like, Tooth and Claw, I felt, felt a little bit more organic mm-hmm. when compared to Daring Delvers. Daring Delvers is like, this card does this, oh, and you're an explorer. This card does this, or you can, you know, get an explorer count up, which is fine. I like that because it makes the card viable outside of the rival's format makes it more relevant in Championship and Nemesis. But um, I think it lacks the focus that I think Tooth and Claw had. I, I do believe that. And I, maybe it's an unfair comparison because I still think this is a good deck. Like you invading enemy territory and jumping on feature tokens, cover hexes, lethal hexes, whatever. Um, you have a lot of plus one move cards to help you get there. You're an explorer, you get that a keyword, you benefit from it, helps you score cards. Um, and there's a lot of ping damage, so it can help you burn enemy fighters so that you can get onto those feature tokens. So it's cool, it works. Um, but I think my challenge with this deck, and if, 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 if and it's only criticism for the sake of criticism, sure. Like, I still think it's a very viable, fun deck that I have enjoyed playing. It's just that I think the upgrades are perhaps the weakest part. And I say that given the fact that they have two amazing, two or three amazing upgrades and they're for championship. It's just, it's just some of the cards just feel like you're an explorer and that's it. Um, and that's where I, I'm being a little nitpicky, but overall mm-hmm. I enjoy the idea of it. What about you, Zach? No, I, I think you are pretty correct on all counts. Um, it's interesting you talk about the organicness of Tooth and Claw uh, as opposed to this one, uh, Daring Delvers. Um, a lot of the power in Tooth and Claw came from the Savage mechanic and synergizing the Savage mechanic. And it kind of makes some of the better cards in there not good in Championship because you have to use that Savage mechanic and the synergy of it to kind of like get the full use out of it. Whereas here, 
there's a, been a lot of cards that just feel like, like you said, they've been designed to have a championship effect and a Daring Delver's effect. And so they kind of feel okay, even if you don't take this plot card. Um, we talked about some of the uh, ploys. We talked about some of the upgrades that just like um, dowsing, dowsing Limb is fine if you don't care about being an explorer. It's still a really good push. Like, uh, what was some of the other ones? Um, uh, Plunder Knowledge is still fine if you don't care about increasing your exploration count because you can still draw. Um, and it's it's kind of two different approaches. One is this is a rival's deck that can be very strong internally, but loses strength as you dilute it. And the other one is like, this is one that's strong internally and it's still strong externally, but you don't get the internal benefits. Um, and I think that's cool. I think we see two directions that they are going with these plot cards and with these rivals decks. And I think both of them are quite interesting. I think that's a good summary. And again, like I was saying, I, I, I'm not being harsh. Like I think it's it's just a little bit of criticism mm-hmm. because I it's just my it's just my opinion. Like I'm being a little picky. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think you're right. I think these decks are are well put together. I think there's good strategy there, and 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 I think they're going to be great for beginning players. Yeah, they're they're going to be they're going to teach a lot of fundamentals and strategy and thinking about. All the cards are designed to help you accomplish your goals so that when you evolve to the next levels of Nemesis and Championship and you decide to build more decks, you um, can keep those lessons you learned in mind and the synergies in mind. Yeah, and I think before we jump into Nemesis and Championship, uh, one thing I do want to say is that I really, and I think I talked about this in the previous one, um, that all our episodes are starting to blend together. Um I really like that these decks, they feel better, better designed is maybe kind of a, a loose phrase, but like they just feel nicer than the previous rivals decks. Cause like some of the ones that are on Warhammer community, like um, maze breachers and uh, patient lurkers and stuff, they just kind of feel like, Hey, here are some cards from, you know, this expansion, put them together, make a rivals deck. Whereas these ones really feel like, okay, these are going to be the universals, but also we're going to put these mechanics together. Also, we're going to like make sure it feels, like you said, organic, make sure it feels streamlined. And then also make sure it just, it feels good to play in Rivals and Nemesis. I don't think stuff like necessarily uh, Deadly Depths or um, Vainglorious Raiders is like, it, they don't feel fun to play in Nemesis because it's just like a pile of cards. They don't feel thematic. They don't feel focused. They don't feel um, like it's designed to be played as a singular deck, whereas these two do. And I think that's going to be a much better new player experience because you're going to put one of these decks together. You're going to open it up. You're going to play it. And you're going to be like, wow, I get what this deck is about. It feels good. It comes together really well. And I'm enjoying playing it. And I think that's going to be so good for getting new and returning players back into the game. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and that's very well said. Um, and at the risk of being redundant <laughs> or saying the same things, um, I will just say I agree and we can move on. Sure. Um, so, what I want to do now is I want to take a look at, I guess, I guess, Zach, before we do the Warband stuff, if you had to rate this 
deck from a one to ten, what'd you give it? I think I'd give it like a seven or an eight. Um as like a rivals or nemesis deck. Um I think it's good. I think there's some duds in here uh in terms of power cards. Um I think the exploration mechanic maybe is not as explored as it could have been, but um Tish, like you said, I feel like this is an explorer is just kind of tacked on to some upgrades where there could have been more interesting ways to be made explorers or, you know, maybe become an explorer organically, like you could become savage organically. Uh, I think that would have pushed it to like a nine or a 10 for me, but it's still really cool. It's still really fun. So I think it's like an eight, eight out of 10. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause I was going to say like it's in the six to eight range. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I would go six and seven. Sure. Right. That's where I'm somewhere at. And, and I think that's a good thing. Because you don't want rivals decks to be really, 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 really good. Yeah, absolutely. Because then they're too good, and then they'll be too good in Nemesis, and they'll be too good in Championship, mm-hmm. right? So this is a perfect sweet spot because you want them to have strengths and weaknesses. Um, and so I was just curious what your overall thoughts were, but uh, I'm in agreement. Like it's probably around that. I think we could both agree seven. Sure. Um, which is which is perfect. Yeah, I think so. Because as soon as you start pushing eight and nine. Because like like Hexbane's hunters, I think, you know, are pushing eight and nine, and they're very good in rivals, right? So yeah, absolutely. You don't want that. You don't want one deck to be heads and shoulders above the rest. Um, but anyways, let's jump to warbands. So let's let's just uh, take turns naming warbands that we think would be good with this deck, and and um, I think I'll start, mm-hmm. and I think I'll take one of the. Uh, Easier or low-hanging fruit here um, with Gore Chosen. Now, some of the cards, I will say, are hard for Gore Chosen because they might not necessarily be able to have two fighters or three or more fighters on objective tokens, right? So, you are potentially sacrificing your best one of your best surges in the deck. But there's just so much domain synergy here mm, mm-hmm. that it can work for them in Nemesis. Um, I don't think you're going to pair Gore Chosen in a Rivals format. Uh, but I think, I mean, you could. I think it works. Sure. But I think, I think it's better as a combination in Nemesis. Yeah, I would agree. What about you? If you had to pick a Warband that works with this deck in either Rivals or Nemesis or both, which one would you pick? Um, I'm kind of looking through right now. Uh, I kind of like. As weird as it is, I kind of like Shadeborn with this. Um, they are kind of squishy to move forward. There are no plus wounds in this deck. There's no healing in this deck. So your three wound fighter is going to be a little bit squishy. But I like the idea of being able to place cover hexes um, with some of these cards. Uh, you know, Slithail is great to move forward with. She's two dodge with really good attack. Like you want her to be in enemy territory doing stuff anyway. Uh, they have a lot of cards that want them to be even feature and cover hexes already. Uh, personally, like some objectives of theirs and stuff. So there's synergy with uh, some of the objectives in here. Um, uh, the the bow is good on them because you want to be on cover hexes and you can count as always being in a cover hex. Oh, I guess that one needs a feature token, not a cover hex. But yeah, feature token. Um, but even the shade tokens counting you as being in cover hexes means that. Um, that has synergy with uh, the objective that I picked, um, Brave, Brave the Root Maze, 
because your count is being in cover hex and you can score that one a lot easier. So I don't know if they're the best faction to pick with it, but I think they definitely work with this deck for sure. That is an interesting pick. I didn't think you were going to go for that one, but it, it makes sense when you talk about it. Yeah. Um, I like it. Um, I also think Wormspot are pretty good. You like ping damage. Um, help them with their Inspire. Um, Despoilers, I think, is another good one. Yeah, not bad. Uh, I think I might pick... Um, I think I might pick Cunning Crew, actually. They want to go forward... Uh, at least with a few of their fighters. Um, you know, Manok and Torka are absolutely happy to move forward and stand in enemy territory and just kind of brawl and do stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And I think they're great at sitting in cover hexes, like especially your little dudes. Your little dudes get inspired there to dodge and you put them in cover hexes and you delve with them and stuff like that. And I think, I think, they're in, I think they could work pretty well with this. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Grimwatch and Crimson Court also can work. Yeah. Because you can play them fairly aggressively. Crimson Court is a great shot with this. Um, Any Order Warbands, do you think? Um, Starboard Stalkers are solid. Uh, just because they also want to do the feature token stuff. Uh, I'm trying to think of ones with Wizards. So you could take advantage of that. Uh, ping Purifiers, maybe? Purifiers, Truth Seekers. Um, you love that wizard thing. Yeah. Skates has a wizard, too. Yeah. And they like to always be charging. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think they're... <sighs> Maybe, actually. I mean, they do want to be in enemy territory um, and just kind of like going and doing stuff. And you can put Scathe on an objective and you can like charge on objectives and stuff like that. Actually, there's that fun synergy of using um, Circlet of Command or whatever the circlet's called where you give plus one move and everyone has it. You throw that mm-hmm. on Scathe, it becomes six move. The entire warband is six. Is six move, yeah, from the jump. Yeah, pretty solid. that's not bad. Uh, yeah, I think I could see that. I mean, do you think it works with Hexbanes? Like, they don't really need the support in Nemesis. No. But I don't, I don't think I don't think Hexbanes is a daring devil. Well, in Rivals, sure. Sure. I think it works with most warbands. And actually, Hexbanes Hunters is, is one that can do it. But I think for them, you go Tooth and Claw, maybe? Yeah. Or with one of the older Rivals decks. Um, now, we don't have the updated uh, Rivals format document for Narwood, so True. the eligible number of decks can change. But I think we're just kind of speculating on what Warbands kind of work here. Um, what about Soul Raid? You think that works with Soul Raid, Darren Dollars? I mean, yeah. They want they want to do all that stuff, be in enemy territory and things like that. Um, you know, there is... Your fish can't be made into an explorer, but he can sit on cover hexes or feature tokens. Um, and he's always going to be an enemy territory. Well, you can always you can also put him back in your territory and put him on one of your feature tokens because the way you lose exploration yeah. is by enemies. By them having yeah. yeah, so denying denying their denial actually helps you quite a bit as well. And you can do that with the crab scuttle as well. Um, yeah, I think it works fine on them. Uh, Soul Raid is pretty well-rounded enough that I think they work with a lot of decks in general. Um, but yeah, you brought up Purifiers before. I think that's actually not bad. Um, especially, I'm just looking at the uh, domain here, the zone of control, the you're on guard when you're in a starting hex or feature token. Um, 
these guys, like, purifiers don't necessarily want to move very far. So just, like, getting them over the line onto feature tokens, especially with Bahanar or um, Miari, who both start on two defense dice. Um, it's not bad at all, actually. Uh, and the other two inspired two defense dice. Um, so just, like, getting that early guard and moving into feature tokens where they want to be and... Um, They've got reasonable move as well. Uh, you can use Circlet of Command on Miari to turn Bahanar into a five, five move fighter with his uh, three damage attack inspired. There's like some solid synergy there as well. Yeah, I mean, there is. Um, and so I think the point that we're hoping to make through our listener is that a bunch of warbands can work. Yes, absolutely. Right. Um, there are two that I do want to get your thoughts are because I think they're near and dear to you. First one. The dead that are exiled. I don't think they're... <sighs> I think they play the exploration mechanic well, but what you want is... The sort of things you want to make exiled dead work is like aggro buffs for your little dudes and defensive buffs for your leader, and none of that is in this deck. So... It's not their favorite. I think they can work with it, and if you're an exiled dead player and you're like hey, I just want to pick up this box and play Daring Delvers, I think they'll score through this deck really reliably. But I think there are better options at the end of the day. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Tooth and Claw, namely. But <laughs> last one, Spike Plus. I hadn't really thought about Ooh, that. he's making some facial expressions. I, oh. I hadn't really thought about that. Let me think about this. Um, I mean, you're the Spike Claw guy. I am. You know what's funny? You know what's funny? Hmm. Jonathan. Missed that guy. His favorite warband was Spike Plus One of all time, and I think for you it's like it's like top five, either number one or top two, yeah. top five. What? Yeah, it, it's up there. It depends on the day yeah. and how I'm feeling. Um, yeah, that's fair. I was saying top two, but uh, yeah, yeah. I I don't think they're bad at it. I mean, there's a lot of. I mean, the stats on Spike Claw just allow them to kind of work with everything. They're fast enough to move in enemy territory. They can play the objective holding game. Um, they can res notably into the enemy's backfield, which allows you to like, you res and explore. Now they're in the opponent's backfield. They're probably not getting shifted. That's really mm -hmm, nice. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually just thinking today, um, we recorded Tooth and Claw earlier today, and I was like, man, I didn't talk about Spike Claws all during Tooth and Claw, but they're actually really good with that deck as well. Yeah, um, yeah they are. I was thinking about it, like, during the – I had, like, a 15-minute break, you know, because I had to jump for that meeting. Mm -hmm. And then, like, uh, two meetings back-to-back, -back, and then 15-minute break, and then three meetings back-to-back. -back. And in that 15 minutes, I was just like, this would be good with Tooth and Claw, this would be good in Tooth and Claw, this would be good in Tooth and Claw, and so – the the why it's a I was thinking well I won't go into all the synergies in Tooth and Claw because that's a completely different episode um but there are some really cool synergies for Spike Claw in there but there's actually some really good synergies in here for Spike Spike Claw as well I mean they like the ping damage because it's really only Spike Claw that does damage so that's really nice for them uh, the little guys don't do crazy amount of damage mm -hmm. um you get a good attack action in there you too. get a good attack action put the stuff I talked about, about putting down cover and then the guard zone of control, like, that's really good on Spike Claw because he's, he's yeah. a two-dodge monster. Um, but yeah, like, resing your fighters, make everybody move six, dowsing limb on Spike Claw, just having that super push, potentially, after his range to attack action. Enshrouded shot is pretty good on your little guys who can 
res come back move on to a feature token enemy backfield and just start shooting people like mm-hmm. there's a lot of cool stuff in here it's a lot of cool stuff in there yeah and and it, it gets even better in uh in championship but also nemesis yes right so yeah cool well those were two that i thought might be uh might be good picks and i'm glad that at least one of them is uh got your gears turning yeah a little bit. and there's there's one i want you to 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 put up for you as well what do you think of what do you think about Molog's mob with this one? Oh god yeah it's really interesting because it i don't think it works no because you need to be on feature tokens and Molog's mob successfully functions when you protect your little minions in the back and Molo kind of goes to town. But you can just early game, like during setup, put a feature token across the line and then just slap Stalag Squig on it. You know, it's really interesting you say that because I've talked to Gerard about this a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, Gerard the Professor. When he, when we were at Adepticon, he was like, I think Molog has some legs. And I was like, you're crazy. And he was like, nah, whores in the dark is an auto score because you stab, slap the lag squig, you know, on a, a cover effects and then you just start the game because two block on cover right. is really nice. But then he was like, he died every game. And so, if I didn't draw it early, it wouldn't work. It's dicey. And so, it is dicey. You know, obviously, there are going to be some games where he's impossible to kill. But more often than not, he was being taken out. It's just one crit. It's all you really need on most cases. And so, with with that idea I, 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 w- I would dismiss it just based on the fact that Gerard put in the time and effort to see if it would work and it didn't um, I think that's really reasonable um, I guess I was just thinking like Molog is always you know you can basically make sure he's always on feature tokens enemy territory and he's always an explorer um, but I think that's really fair uh, that the little guys probably don't want to be there assisting with and they just die up yeah you know you're just giving away three glory well, that squig is what three dodge inspired he's not it's pretty reliable to keep alive, but I guess, yeah, two wounds. Fair. Two wounds is but just if, like if, a one bad crit away from death. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea is that you want a majority of your warband to be in enemy territory. Mm-hmm. And I think if someone parked Malag up front and then put all his minions around him and it was like, should I go for Molog? Should I go for minions? If I go for Molog too much, everything inspires. I'm just killing the minions. Mm. Even if I trade a fighter for a minion, it's worth it. Because I'm getting the glory, which is letting me to get other cards and score other cards, right? Right. So, I I don't think Molog is a good one for Daring Delvers. I think there are some cards that do work well. But, you know, two or more surviving friendly fighters holding an objective, it's not going to happen. Um Two or more surviving friendly fighters are in enemy territory. That could happen. But then, you know, Brave the Roommate is your favorite card in the objective deck. Mm-hmm. You can't do that with Molochs, right? Um, yeah, so. it's dicey. Um, it's really hard. I, I guess the last one I want to talk about, because now we've talked about like half the factions already. Um, but Kynan's Reapers, like, you mm-hmm. have that early mass multi-move. Now, having a move token doesn't lock you down, so you can literally just move all five Mortex in your first action and then just keep moving them throughout the game and then charge uh, Kynan as your last activation or something. I think they're fine walking across the line into opponent's zone like that. Don't don't you? Yes. 
I think Cannons is a good one because I think the warbands that like Daring Delvers the most are aggressive, larger warbands. Mm. Because they have the bodies to kill people and hold feature tokens. And also replenish dead fighters. Yes. Right? That's the most important part is like you play a three or four man, five man warband, you lose two. It's much harder. You play a six, seven man warband, you lose two, you still have, you know, enough fighters to accomplish the game plan. Yeah. Well, I think if we let ourselves go, we could spend an entire ep- a long, episode. long time. I think we could spend an entire episode going through every faction and talking about which rivals deck works best for them for nemesis or rivals or whatever. But, um, but, uh, I think we'll save that for a future episode. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think we're just excited that we finally finished recording all the, all the episodes. We're so. finally done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interestingly had a bit of a time crunch because even though we got these fairly early, mm-hmm. it's like the, the first couple of days was like, Let's just look over everything. I was just like, I got to build this stuff and Google and everything. And then I went, then, you know, I was traveling and, and then now I have to travel again. So it's like, shout out to, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Zach because I was like, look, Zach, I have three days, four days max to record five podcasts. Can you do that with me? And we did it. Yeah. Lord actually, no, I gave it. him, we, I gave him three days. I said, I have three days to record five episodes. Can you, can you do it? And he was like, I got you. So, mad respect to my boy, Zach. Quick shout out to my wife for putting up with it. Thank you. Yes. Tell her I said thank you as well. I see her in the background. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, that's going to be it for this episode, guys. Um, once again, thank you so much to our patron supporters. If you'd like to join our current patrons, you can do so at patreon.com slash pathoglory. You can find all of our blog content on pathoglorypodcast.com. If you have any feedback, questions, or comments, let us know on Facebook, Twitter, or Discord at Path to Glory Podcast or in the Vassal Discord. And please rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks to Zach's wife. <laughs> and as always, we wish you the best of luck on your Path to Glory. Mm-hmm.